and welcome to Concert Pipeline. That's Jen Schiphol. And that is Steve Jones. And today on the program, Jens, we have uh, an amazing musician, one that has an incredible storied career with one of the biggest bands in rock, uh, and that is Mr. Martin Barr of Jethro Tull. That is fantastic. I understand he is the guitar pro and um, can't uh, can't uh, wait to uh, listen to this fabulous interview. Yeah, yeah, we had a great time talking. He had been on the program a couple years back, so uh, I mean, it was really good to hear, um, you know, updates. I mean, it's and how really COVID's been treating him. Um, you know, um, what he's doing in his spare time right now, which, uh, which we'll get into a little bit. So lots of good stuff there. But before we get to that, um, I, I feel like we need to start with your story because you your story will probably trump mine. Uh, I doubt so, it. Yes, uh, <laughs> you, you hit a milestone age uh, recently. So did. that means I you did. get fun new adventures, right? Exactly, exactly. And I, we probably talked about this on the pod, but yeah, I had my big 5-0. Um, crazy to think about it. Uh, but yes, had my 50th in June. And uh, one of the birthday gifts I got was a colonoscopy. You know, um, it's hard to get excited. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The gift that keeps on giving. You know, you get that gift, you rip open the packaging, you're all excited that it's going to be something, you know, freaking fantastic. So, you know, an appointment for a colonoscopy. It's like, oh boy, yay. You know, and my, my first thought was, well, you know, at least I don't have to, you know, work on that day. <laughs> I'm like trying to think of the positive, right? That's a positive thing right there, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't really know. Um, uh, I mean, I've had a colonoscopy before. So I knew, I knew the kind of routine where you've got to drink all the fluids and take the you know, diuretics and stuff and just flush out your whole system so that you're all empty, you know, by the time you get to the actual procedure. Um, and then the anesthesia, I remember, was absolutely fantastic, right? You're completely out throughout the whole thing. And um, the next thing you know, you know, you're awake and your ride's taking you home. And um, now that I'm older, you know, I told myself, I'm just going to give myself some time off work, you know, before and after the actual procedure, because I don't exactly know how my body's going to recover. And the last thing I want to do is be at work and be grumpy as hell because, you know, I haven't eaten or I haven't rehydrated myself or whatever. So, get, so get this. Yeah. So I, I take, I take half a day uh, off work um, on a Wednesday. Right. So um, that's when I have to stop eating. Right. So like 10 AM, I can't eat anymore. Um, uh, let me think. Is that right? <laughs> so, so you didn't eat for a uh, day, like, like twenty four hours. Sorry, it's it, it's a liquid. Uh, you can't eat solids, right? So you have to eat like okay. a yeah, have to eat like a liquid thing. But no, I think that starts at. I forget anyway. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, so I, I couldn't eat any solid food after ten o'clock in the morning. Um, so at twelve o'clock, you know, I decided to um, stop working and just be grumpy and try to make the best of it. And you've got to drink tons and tons and tons of fluid and um, take this nasty shit. Uh, literally, <laughs> and um, and uh, and uh, you know, by the time the procedure was happening, uh, the next morning at like nine thirty in the morning, um, it, it, I mean, it's it's amazing that you can just you can even stand up and, and walk around, 
you know, you, they have zero energy. There's no energy. Uh, you're sort of half hallucinating. You can't walk straight. And, um, and, you know, I stumbled into the procedure and kind of floated on the way out. Cause you know, the anesthetics, the anesthesia was, uh, was so awesome. Um, I felt good for a while and then just slept for the rest of the day. Oh. Um, and then, then, so let's see. So then that was a Thursday. So then Friday, I also took off with the intention of, you know, canceling the time off and just going back to work. But I really didn't feel well the next day either. Um, so I'm like, God, what is going on, dude? And I'm just telling you, Steve, do not, don't get old. Stay young. I will, stay I will young. Try not to. <laughs> stay young. The older you get, the harder it is for your, you know, body to deal with stuff. And, um, but even even though you know it was a it was a, a, a downright nasty experience to get, to go through, um, I've just got one thing to say. I've got one takeaway, one big takeaway from this. It was still better than being at work. Oh wow! Okay, dude, yeah. no joke. I took two and a half days off. It was still better than being at work. So I just want to yeah. put this out there, you know, it's like my job doesn't suck. It's just, it's been, it's been just idiotic, uh, you know, recently, but I just, to, to, to all those people listening, uh, if you ever have to do a colonoscopy, just know that chances are it's probably going to be better than actually going to work. So do it, schedule it, you know, take the time off, get the, you know, take some sick days, and uh, it was awesome. You know, to sleep for like a day and a half. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. remember last time I slept that much, so that's cool. Yeah. Well, good times. Well, anyway, yeah. so that's all I got to say about that. Yeah. So I had um, an, uh, an exciting weekend. I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, you went hunting, right? I did. Yes. Opening weekend for duck hunting. And okay, it's it's is the season again. Yeah. So Friday afternoon, I uh, I get out and um and you know and I was going to camp out in my uh, car. Right. I met up with a friend. Um, we had um, sandwiches and beers and you know and and, uh, and chatted until um until like eight o'clock or something. And um and then I headed out to to my car. To, and the, I mean the mosquitoes were out in full force. I'll tell you. Mm. Um, but uh um yeah got to you know slept i mean slept in my car with some of my gear that i should have taken out but you know i didn't want to get out and let all the mosquitoes in the, in the car again right so right uh so it's pretty and are the mosquitoes there. typical i don't remember you talking about mosquitoes before they are i mean at the you know dusk hours you know when, it, when it's dark and everything they're yeah. pretty populous out there so um gotta remember your insect repellent which i did not but my buddy did have some did you just use the word "populous"? They're quite populous out there. I, I may have used that word. Yeah, that's killer. All right. Yeah. Continue. Uh -huh. And uh, uh, and so anyway, getting to the hunt, um, my buddy and I get the spot that we wanted to hunt. It's a spot that we've hunted before in the past, and so we're we're happy with it. Uh, set out our decoys, and you know, and then the magic hour happens, and it's a year that I've waited nine months for because it's really exciting. Like. Um, that especially the the beginning of uh, of season, get in on an opening day. The birds are, you know, not expecting, you know, hunters then or anything, so they're flying around and, um, and uh, yeah, the first hour and a half, a bunch of birds flying around, um, 
I uh, I'll just jump to the um, you know final point. I mean, it's great. Uh, I was able to bring home two birds. Nice. Did you shoot them both? I did shoot them both. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> funny man, funny man. And I actually split on a uh, a, a third with with my buddy, but he uh, but he got to take it home. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. So, did you were you and your buddy hanging out in your cars together, or did he meet you yeah. there later, or? Uh, I mean, we he got there before uh, I did. So he, uh-huh. he was in line with his uh, his truck, and I parked my truck at the end of the path um, because we don't we're not going to have both of our trucks in line. So right. we yeah. So we were uh, um, you know just sitting outside in ch- chairs, distanced, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then uh, the morning of when we when we had to be in line. I mean, up and awake, and the line was going to start moving. I mean, that helped in his truck. We had you know masks on and everything, but. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then got, got to the parking spot and where gotcha. we to go. And I took off, yeah. you know, I, I rode my bike ahead because it's a mile and a half or, you know, so down um, a path. And uh, so I rode the bike ahead and he pushed the car with all of our gear. All the gear. Wow. So you've got one down, huh? Yeah. And I was toying with going out the second day also. And I brought enough of my gear to be able to do that and just stay in my car again. But I'll tell you, I mean, it's exhausting. Um, and I was, t- I was tired and uh, I knew the next day today that the power is going to be shut off in my home. So uh, again, due to, the, you know, due to high winds for the next two and a half days. So right. working from hotels again, yay. Yay, and you've definitely done this rodeo already this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try, try this, it's uh, not a lot of were the winds uh, a problem uh, during the hunt? Um, no, the winds are good. I mean, you want some wind um, right. when, you're, when you're hunting because it gets water movement on the water uh, so that the decoys are moving and it looks like they're real, right? You can hook them up to a jerk cord and then like that you pull, you know, kind of while you're, you know, to get the decoys moving. If you don't have any mm-hmm. winds, that's, you know, that's what you want to do. Otherwise, it looks too fake. If, mm. like, well, right. That makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. the, so the winds are, are good for that. So I don't remember you telling me that you were gonna like go out and uh, do some practice shots and stuff like that. Did you just kind of go in here cold turkey? Yeah, I, um, I mean, I had, did go out and shoot clays once, I think, uh-huh. um, a couple just a couple months ago, uh, mm-hmm. to you know, um, to, you know, work up the gun again, you know, get get mm-hmm. comfortable uh, shooting. So I was gonna go a second time, but um, but didn't get a chance to go back out. Hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. So when's the next one? I think like two weeks is uh, when I'll go out again because next weekend I have plans, you know, my son's birthday and, right. um, you know, and it's Halloween and, you know, for whatever mm-hmm. that is, you know. Um, I totally yeah. forgot. Yeah, it's October. It's, it doesn't even matter, you know. <laughs> it <doesn't laughs> I know, matter. right? You want to join birthday and Halloween thing and that's the... I know, yeah. I know. I mean, it's like... Um, it's like you know when the when when I woke up after the colonoscopy was over, um, you know I you said was to the nurse, no, <laughs> I said to the nurse that anesthesia was awesome. Can I have some to go just a little bit, just to you know get me through twenty twenty <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> for a couple months? You know, just you know if I wake up in January, that's cool. I'm good with that. <laughs> uh-huh, but I hear yeah, you on that. You know, I mean this whole year has been like fucked. 
Yeah. So share when you get it. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'll keep on working them. <laughs> All right. Well, good stuff. Um, so we should bring in our guest Jens. Not, not wait, let our people wait any longer. Um, so like I said, Martin Barr, I was really excited to get to talk to him again. Uh, he was, he's in the UK. So uh, we are, you know, going global with our nice uh, so across the pond. Yeah. Across cool. the pond. Exactly. And uh, yeah. yeah, let's bring in Mr. Martin Barr. Hello, I'm Steve. Hey, Martin, how you doing? I'm good. Yeah, it took me a while. Uh, I, I tried to do it in my studio, but um, the uh, uh, wireless signal wasn't good enough. Hey, no worries. We got you here, right? So <laughs> nice. What's good. The What's the guitar you got there? Oh, I. You know, honestly, I have no idea. It's my girlfriend. So right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I'm not. You know, I've I've tried playing instru instruments. Uh, I'm just not that guy. Uh, I I'm love the, talk. I love talking about it more. I'm better at that. Yeah. So <laughs> same same as me. Oh, no, are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> you're an amazing guitarist, and you've been doing it your whole life. So you know, you yeah, you have a little bit of experience behind you. I think some would object with that. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> okay. Fair. Well, I, I'm getting a lot asked better. Like God. I look Okay. So, look so, yeah. So how are you doing? How are how are you through all this COVID stuff? You know, how um, is it affecting you? Well, the, the summer was good because I've I've never had a summer off uh, in over fifty years because um, uh, I've always been working and touring. So the summer was really nice. <clears throat> uh, enjoyed it. The weather was good. Uh, I did a bit of music and. Um, sort of a lot of dealing with uh, postponing tours. Uh, I've been writing music, putting a DVD together. So it's, it's the summer's good. Now the nights are about to get longer, darker, colder. And, and I think uh, it, it's, it's plan B for the winter. So I'll, I've got a few ideas. I'm, I'm taking music lessons um, to get my grades but on, on the alto flute, just to make it a bit different. So you started with the flute, didn't you? Yeah, I, I, I can play it, but, but um, I, I just want to set myself a goal and I want to see how far I can get with the grades. I don't know if you have that in the States, you have grading system of exams. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'll start with grade one and, and see how far I get, but it, it'd just be something for my brain. I'm not great at reading music, so it'll be a challenge for that. And I, I just, I got a beautiful alto flute last week um, that I had to sell a very expensive guitar to get. Uh, but it, but it, it's stunning and, uh, and it's inspirational to play it. And, and you know, now Tull has sort of gone, been and gone enough years. When I pick up the flute, it's me rather than picking up the flute and going, you know, thinking about uh, Ian and uh, sh should I really be playing flute? You know, it, it's 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 not intimidating, but you you, you question the viability of it <clears throat> when you got somebody in the band that that uh, as it was that that was their main instrument. So, so I I played very little flute for a long time, and now I'm picking it up again. Yeah, and so. Um... 
so you have more time to kind of slow down and focus on, you know, uh, on these things that you've kind of, it sounds like you've wanted to do, but, but haven't been able to, you know, do always being on the road. Um, uh, well, yes and no, because I, I, I still write, but look, normally I'm on the road and, and then I might have a couple of months gap and then I'll write. Um, but obviously I don't have the restrictions. So I've written a lot, a lot of music. I got two hours of music, which at some point at the end of the year or in the new year, I'm going to start processing and, you know, picking out the best bits and uh, d developing them into pieces of music. Uh, but, you know, the, the, this new CD's out. Um, I've still got my last solo CD, which is sort of still current musically in my mind. And then we've got the DVD that's coming out for Christmas of uh, a show in uh, Edwardsville um, that, that was uh, May last year uh, and it's really great quality I mean I've spent months and months uh, getting this getting it perfect which it isn't but it's as near as it's ever going to be so it's it, and I've got the, the covers just being done now it, it's exciting because it's um, um, CDs and live CDs or all these things build up to something and I just think you know 2020 it's a shit year there's going to be something in 2020 which I remember as being a really great thing and uh, I, I hope that's going to be this DVD which sort of sums up what I've been doing for a, a long time. Yeah so tell me, tell me a little bit more about the DVD so uh, I mean you the, the show that you chose to, to do it off of, like uh, what went into that? Were you planning on releasing it as a DVD when you recorded uh, the show? Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah, it, it was the 50 years of Jethro Tull tour, uh, which we, we did all through 2019. And we, we took it to Australia and uh, South America at the beginning of this year. And it was a big success, you know, it was a, that we had video on the on the uh, backdrop. Um, it was a big show with Dee Palmer and Clive Bunker, two girl singers. So, so it, 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 unfortunately, we didn't get to bring it to the West Coast yet, and and uh, we should have been there. <laughs> I think it's now. Uh, you know, um, my calendar's got. I always write my gigs in pencil because yeah. they can change. But of course, my calendar for this year is everything's rubbed out because I, I don't <laughs> want to see it. But I can just see the indentation of the pencil and I just go, <laughs> it makes me really angry. So I, I think we, we would have been on the West Coast around now with the big show, 50th anniversary. It, it was a, a success and musically it was fun. And thank goodness. I decided to do this video when when we did, because I don't know if it'll happen again. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm sure. I mean, talking about your calendar, I mean, you're rescheduling stuff to next year, and you're like, okay, will we be ready? Will will you know where will things be? But you got to hold the venues, and uh, mm. you know, and you want to plan. You want. I mean, we want to get back out to concerts, right? So it's like, <laughs> you know, what what it will be? I mean, you you were in Mexico. I think when you know when COVID hit and everything shut down, is that right? Well, almost. We, we did South America. We played Brazil, Argentina. Then we went to Chile, and and I mean, COVID was around, 
but it wasn't threatening um, uh, enough to stop the concerts uh, in Chile that, that there were mutterings about closing down country by country we played the last show in Chile um, uh, um, was it? Uh, Pat Metheny was supposed to play the next night in this in this theatre uh, and, and his got cancelled we, we literally did the last show and then we we're going to fly to Peru and on to Mexico but the um, but it, it got closed down just before we we're going to fly out that the country closed everything down luckily because we, we would have been stuck there so yeah. we never got to play Mexico or Peru and we we're going to go back but uh, I guess we were lucky to get out and uh, uh, it was it was a lot of fun but it, it's just sad you know I, I'm sad because what I do for a living and my life and my hobby and my passion and my love is playing live gigs and it's been taken away so it's uh, really annoying yeah yeah it's it's horrible and and you were going to do the on the uh um on the blue cruise right you know and then yeah well look it's gonna shut that back door yeah go for it that's right the neighbors are doing some building work he just decided to uh, drive his bulldozer past the back window. Um, yeah, well, the cruise is the least likely thing to happen for yeah. obvious reasons. I mean, cruises are like nobody knows. Uh, but, um, outdoor festivals, probably that you know, you, you know as much as I do. But I, I think next summer that there'll be some outdoor festivals because you can, um, ice, uh, you can. Uh, give space uh, and control it better, maybe. Uh, indoor theatres, you know, that, that's, it's 60, 70% break even for a theatre to put on the yeah. show. Um, so you can't uh, even do it with smaller numbers, you know, like with 25% of the capacity or anything, you know, and getting people to stay yeah. separated, you know, that's not, you know. I mean, in theory, you, you do it, um, as a charity show and, yeah. and you, if you can afford to lose money uh, or, or you film it and stream it but then you know one or two of those shows are, are viable but I, I haven't done it you know that one of our guys lives in Germany one lives in Scotland it, it's hard to get everybody together for one show or, or even to film something but um, but I will do things you know I'm, I'm gonna do acoustic things uh, online um, in, in, in this um, winter coming up. But, yeah. but gigs, I, I know as much as anybody, as you, the person in the street, the promoter, the artist, that, that nobody has any extra information or secret agenda or, you know, a, a, a fix it for it. But uh, it has to be a you know it's just staying focused and uh luckily i love playing i've got the space to play at home and um i've got my bass clarinet 
uh, again, <laughs> my flute, as I told you, and, and you know, guitar, I, I can play guitar two hours every day without blinking an eyelid. It, it's never a chore. And uh, so, so I'm, I'm never bored and, and I'm, I'm, I will never be, I will never give up. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, you want to be able to do what you love in whatever capacity you can, even if it's just for yourself right now, you know, and, and through yeah. that, I'm, you know, I'm sure you're, you're able to kind of write, you know, some stuff, you know, write some songs and mm. kind of work, work on that a little bit more, um, you know, for, for looking forward, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always something I can do. And, and even it's getting a, 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 I've been talking about getting a little band together locally and just playing it in a cafe to 20 people. I, I don't care if it's down the road, it, it doesn't cost anything. Uh, yeah. uh, and and I, I just want to play. I just want to yeah. get an amp and turn it up <laughs> and get rid of a few cobwebs. Yeah. So, so let's talk about 50 Years of Jethro Tull. I mean, the, uh, the double album. How did you choose which songs, you know, were going uh, to make it on the album? What, what was that uh, process for you? Because when you're talking 50 years, that's such a body yeah. of work, you know? I mean, I think that the, the two criteria that, that one, it works live as a rock piece of music that it can entertain an, um, an audience in a very up and positive fashion. So, so it had to be a good piece of music to play live, exciting. Uh, a, B, I would have to like it myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so perhaps so, uh, somebody asked the same question as it's probably easier for me to say that the only bits of music that I, I wouldn't think about playing are the ones I don't like, because I, I like obviously most of it. It's, it's just, uh, it, it, there's a lot of ingredients. Uh, I, I know what the audience like. I can sort of gauge it. I get so many requests, you know, why don't you play this? Why don't you play that? Uh, so you get lots of information. Uh, and I just weigh it all up. But, but the, the end, the, the, the last gate before I'm there is that it's got to sound great in rehearsals. And, and it really works live as a, an exciting piece of music. Yeah, and um, so let's let's go back uh, to your your childhood and kind of music and your uh, you know how, and how it was present kind of in your childhood. So yeah. I know uh, your grandfather was a uh, a professional violinist, right? Was yes. that your first kind of you know connection to um, uh, to music and you know in your family? Um, not really, because um, I, I knew of him. I only met him twice, um, mm. which is dreadful. But uh, but my dad, I knew that he he wanted to be a musician. Uh, he wanted to be a clarinetist, and he was never able to. You know, the, the, just the uh, finances of the family. He had to go and work, <laughs> and get a, get a proper job. You know, quote. Um, so when I when I was at uni, uni learning to be a, an architect. And, uh, and I failed a year and, and I, I really didn't like it very much. So I had an opportunity, I was playing all the time in, in local bands and I had a chance to go up to London and, and try and make, make a go of it just for a few years, maybe, or even a year, just to get away from the tedium of, you know, college and 
the routine and the discipline was wearing me down. So I, I did it and, and my dad encouraged me and, and I, he never said why, but obviously it's because in retrospect, he saw me doing what he wanted to do and was unable to do. So he was very uh, supportive um, when I, when I uh, uh, went professional. But, and then going back to when I started playing guitar, he, he used to, he had a big collection of jazz records. And so he gave, gave me uh, Barney Kessel and Jimmy uh, uh, West Montgomery, uh, Kenny Burrell, <laughs> I can think of all these names. He gave me all these albums, most which I didn't like at all. Um, but it sowed the seed just to hear people play. And funnily enough, the, the thing that really impressed me was the flute playing. Uh, I, I think one album had Frank Wes, which I think, I think he was Count Basie's flautist. And I loved the flute. So it made me go and buy a flute. This is when I'm like 15 years old. Yeah. So that, that was quite an, uh, an important thing in retrospect. But I mean, essentially, we're not a musical family at all, but, but we all love music. Uh, and my dad was a, a great inspiration without actually doing or saying anything. And would you, would you say that a lot of your work ethic you get from your dad? He, were, he was a factory uh, worker, right? Like, so yeah. I'm sure he worked really hard to support yeah. you guys. Yeah, well, I, I just, uh, the, the obvious thing is I learned from my dad was just to, uh, sort of life lessons, really. He, he was an amazing person. He was humble and, and didn't have a bad bone in his body. Um, I only ever once saw him angry. <laughs> that was my fault. Um, and and uh, he, he, was, he was an incredible person. I, uh, and, and I always thought if, if I could be half that person, I'd be happy. And it, it's, it's just nice that you, you, you look at your parents and you learn behavioral patterns, really. Uh, and and I, I just learned respect. And, and I also learned to, to be realistic, humble, thankful, <laughs> all these things that, that most rock musicians aren't. But um, you know, it, it's uh, he was an inspiration as a person. Yeah. Did Did your parents go to a lot of the Tall concerts? Like, did they? How are they in terms of that support? Oh, they, they yeah, they loved it, and uh, so uh, yeah, in the early days, particularly that they'd come to concerts, but they'd always be um, um, right in the middle. You know, wherever they were in the audience, there'd be us that they'd just be well lit by coincidence. So I'd go on stage and they were there, or they were there. <laughs> and um, it was just a funny thing, but uh, th th they were very proud and, and uh, that's a nice thing. Yeah, and, uh, and so tell me about kind of when you, when you were joining Tall, um, they, uh, it was around the time of their second uh, album, right? So tell me about yeah. that experience of kind of coming into the band that, you know, yeah. had already kind of been uh, formed at that point. Yeah, well, well we, I was living in London uh, and we, we'd sort of metamorphed into a blues band. I played saxophone, playing soul and R&B and, and then blues, the blues train came to England with all the great uh, musicians, you know, the, the Kings, B.B. King, Albert King, Fred King, uh, 
buddy guy. They're all on this train, and the, uh, I don't know if you knew about the program, but it, it was on every week, and the train would stop at a station somewhere in, in England. They'd all get off and they'd play. It's incredible, but it brought the blues to the fore. So immediate, or you know, the the, the knock-on effect was I could get my guitar back on, and be, we became a blues fan. I kept the flute playing. Um, but I heard about Ian. I, I played in in the um, um, uh, oh come on my brain's gone uh, Roland Kirk style um, as you well not as you did not I didn't know of anybody else that was doing it so I had his records and I was sort of copying that bluesy interpretation of the flute and somebody told me oh that you know that there's another guy doing it I'm like really <laughs> where is he <laughs> so that's how i got to hear a jethro tell but they sat you know they said i was a great guitar player a bit like eric clapton great sound flute players really zany it, and and it was a big build-up i eventually went to see them in a club and of course there was my dream everything i aspired to, to be and, and wanted to have in a band, we're up on that stage. Uh, uh, I was just gobsmacked. Uh, we played, uh, I saw them again, and then we played, we did a gig together. I met them and they remembered me. Uh, and then that led to, uh, to me joining the band. Yeah, and, uh, and so w tell me about that dynamic at the beginning, you and Ian and the, the rest of the guys, did it flow pretty well? Like, uh, how did you, at what point did you really feel uh, like you jived with the, with the group? Um, there was a big overlap because um, Jethro Tull were a blues band. And as you know, This Was was a blues album. Um, I didn't know at the time when I joined, I had no idea. I just thought I'd be doing the same thing but not as well, because uh, Mick was a great blues player, and I definitely wasn't. Um, so I, I was nervous, anxious, uh, but, but Ian had an agenda <clears throat> in his mind of, of going away from the blues writing, you know, as we know. Um, and, and I think he saw me as part of that, because I wasn't really a blues player, a jazz player, a folk player. I just sort of played my own thing. Um, so we got on really well. We had a sort of very open mind musically. Uh, and, and in the early couple of months after I joined, the audience didn't like us. You know, they, they listened and, and they're like, oh, where's the blues? You know, where's the 12 bar blues? That, that it's gone. And there's this weird music instead. Of, and they didn't like it. And, and, and it, so it was a very uncomfortable atmosphere in the band. And of course, a lot of it was focused on me because if there's anybody to blame, not the band. It's a new guy, people. right? Yeah. It's him. It's his fault. <laughs> no. um, but slowly they, they swung round. And there was, I even know the first gig was in Manchester with um, um, Manfred Mann. And it was the first gig where the audience uh, liked it and right on our side and cheering and clapping. And it was a, a moment of great relief for, for me and for Ian. I, I remember after the gig, me and Ian are like, oh, wow, thank goodness for that. It, it, it was, we were both really relieved for slightly different reasons, but, and then, then it all sort of settled in and 
as you know, went to America. <laughs> 50 years of stories. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I like to talk about, I mean, about shows that you did um, kind of here in, in the area. I'm in the Bay Area, right? I'm in, I'm in Napa, California. And so, oh, nice. so, so there's some legendary venues here and, and I, yeah. you know, and, and I'm interested kind of some of the, your experiences playing, you know, some of the venues out here like Fillmore West and, you know, oh. if you, if, if you have stories from that, uh, <laughs> yeah. that would be, I mean, really awesome. Oh yeah. Well, with the, the first two we did of America, we, we played concerts the weekends, the week we didn't, in the week we did nothing. So we started in New York, we flew up to Boston, and, and I mean, everywhere we went was just like this incredible moment of discovery because we, we were, you know, these uh, very uh, naive English people um, discovering America and, and it's the, the American dream that everybody from the UK wanted. So uh, then we went to Chicago, but it was winter, so we had snow in Boston, Chicago, Detroit, freezing weather, but amazing experiences. Playing with, you know, we played with Pentangle. Oh, I can't even think of some of the bands we met, MC5 in Seattle. Uh, and eventually we went down to San Francisco. Was, was a, we, we were going to play LA, San Francisco. And we didn't know what to expect, but we got off the plane. And, and it, the weather, the smell was just fantastic. I just thought I'd arrived in heaven. Yeah. Uh, of course, we had this whole week to walk around and discover the town. It, it, it was it, it had such an impact on me um, that I, I can remember it as if it was yesterday, uh, and I loved it. You know, I, I just loved San Francisco and still do. And and of course, I've got to know the whole area, the Napa Valley, Russian River. Uh, every time I come to America, I, I discover something new. And, and it's better, you know, it's, it's a infinite country of discovery, as you know. Um, and then Fillmore West was just an amazing venue. I mean, Bill Graham um, got us into Fillmore East. He, he was a big supporter for Tell. <clears throat> he loved the music. He was a really good guy uh, and helped us a lot. But um, yeah, playing Fillmore West was fantastic. Um, the few weird things. I think what what one time um, Ian had had a, a really bad cold and he took some some sort of flu drug or something and he, and he just zonk he, he just went out. He was away with the fairies for like two days, so I had to go on stage and explain to this full audience that we couldn't do the show. And oh no! At the so, show. Yeah, I thought they were going to kill me, but they were fine. And then an, another night, uh, I was playing on stage with the rest of the guys, and I just heard this scuffle behind me, and, and the two crew had grabbed hold of this naked man with, like, hair, beard, and, and a huge knife. And he jumped up on stage. I didn't know it was happening. He jumped up on stage, crazy with the knife, go towards me and they jumped, they jumped on him. That was the end of that. It is just, nothing was ever ordinary. And I quite like that. I mean, I wouldn't say I like people going at me with a knife. No. But I just like the fact that um, 
I've got all these sort of rich memories of being there. And uh, it, so I hate to say it because everybody says, where's your favourite place? Where's the best audience? You go, <laughs> leave me alone. But um, San Francisco, that, that whole West Coast is pretty cool for me. Yeah. Do you, do you think you might come back here next year? I know you, I saw on your site, you have Portland and Seattle and yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 It's always, always uh, on my um, to do page. Uh, yeah. Uh, without a doubt, we'll be back. But uh, the, the other funny thing that happened was that we, we finished playing San Francisco and the manager thought it'd be nice we had a whole week off before LA. So we'll drive down the coast. I've heard that you know, it's a beautiful coastline. So we rented this big car, we all piled into it, drove down Route 1 and um, sort of getting a bit dark. So we'd better find somewhere for the night. We saw it's almost like the Bates Motel, the sign was there. And, and up, up we go into these, into these log cabins this amazing hippie who sort of made us herbal tea. And it was just this beautiful Zen experience, just so chilled out, uh, almost like a movie. And I'm sure he rolled a couple of joints for us, uh, but it was Big Sur. By total coincidence, we stopped in Big Sur yeah. uh, to break up the journey. So it could, you know, anywhere else would have meant nothing, but just, because it's another amazing place, you know, historically and with music and uh, geography. Big Sur is quite a good place. Yeah, it was uh, amazing. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And so, I mean, talking about you know legendary venues here, let's talk about a legendary venue out in your, your neck of the woods, the Marquee. I mean, you went to yeah. uh, so many amazing shows there, right? Saw Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. Mm. Who like? Tell me about some of those experiences. Well, I lived, obviously lived in London before Tull, and, and that's where everybody went to, to see good music, hear good music, marquee, that you, you didn't need to go anywhere else at all. Uh, I think the only other places I ever went was to see um, Hendrix, because Hendrix played in, oh, uh, the name's going to be gone, somebody out there knows it. He, he played in a couple of other nightclubs, uh, in 60, probably 68, 67, 68. In fact, I met him when he flew into London the very first time. We were um, the backing band for the Coasters and they were staying at this hotel in um, uh, Notting, Gate, Notting Hill Gate. And we took him home and in the lobby was this guy, hair, uh, uh, sitting on a Vox AC30 with a Strat. Strat. And I go, what? Who is that? I've never seen hair like that. Yeah. And one of the kids said, ah, oh, his name's Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, man, he's supposed to be an amazing guitar player. He's come over here, you know, to, to get a, a manager and a record deal. I go, oh, okay. And that was the end of it. You know, of course, it was the history in the making. But, uh, but going back to the marquee, we, we just went out every week, twice a week. And, uh, and uh, I played there before Tell, and Tell played there, just everybody. It, it was like the cavern, but, you know, in a different, slightly different era. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, when you were seeing shows there with these bands that 
are, are legendary. Like I can almost not kind of con conceive of it, right? Seeing a, a abandoned venue like like that, right? I mm -hmm. mean, did uh, were they? I mean, did you see kind of greatness in them at the time that they were going to come to be this thing that would last as long as they have, you know, and forever, really? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, well, Jeff Beck, Spooky Tooth, Family, uh, I mean, just everybody. But 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 you could tell which were the great bands, and and very few great bands never made it, and very few crap bands made it, <laughs> especially in rock you know, rock music. Um, yeah, that the, the, there was a lot to be learned and a lot of inspiration and uh, it, it was just a great atmosphere. But the, the one of the best gigs I've ever seen in my life, uh, which is Brooklyn, you, you've sort of uh, not my memory. It was at the Whiskey in LA and uh, it was my birthday would this be in the 70s or the 80s? It might have been the late 70s, but it was um, Tom Scott and the LA Express. And, and, and they hadn't played for like 10 years. And they'd come back to LA to do a home gig. They, I mean, you know, you, you talk about bands that swing, that rock, you know, hey, you rock. Okay. They epitomized swing rock feel that that they they were unbelievable uh but it, one of the best and i've seen a lot of amazing gigs joe zawinol uh buddy rich uh, uh mahavishna i mean i don't know i've seen a lot of bands and they're all incredible but just maybe two or three concerts were just on a on another level sorry yeah <laughs> did yeah. you destruction but yeah no that's that's great and and so um as you're kind of uh going and playing shows all over the world with with Hull you know I know like I mean being such a pioneer in, in music you were uh, you guys were like the first rock band to play in some some countries like what was that like for for you to kind of go to these areas and them have no kind of concept you know concept of what you guys were bringing yeah, well, it, it was exciting and, and it became a habit because it, we, 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 the first time we did it, we were nervous because there's no infrastructure in place to look after musicians and music and no staging, PAs, lights. Um, you know, there were stories of, you know, uh, gear being stolen, not in the country we're going to. There was a big risk in going and, you know, trying to be paid as well. Um, but we, which was the first one we did, we went to South America, one of the first bands in South America. But, it, but the audiences were incredible, you know, we'd play to 50,000 at night, mainly because they'd never heard Western rock music and they didn't care who it was. They just wanted yeah. to see it and hear it. So, uh, of course, the second time we went, there was 10,000 and then it leveled off because we'd go to a, um, a country, South America, India, um, Japan, Australia, uh, oh, so many different places that, you know, the, the behind the Iron Curtain, Eastern Europe, all of those countries we played when they were communist. Um, but as soon as we went there and it was okay, everybody went. <laughs> so, so it changed, you know, what once, once fans have heard 
20 different bands that they it, it, it becomes normalized but it, it was really exciting just to, to be a pioneer and to open up that doorway uh, and to, to make it happen and work for everybody else so it, it was really good fun yeah did you ever have any nerves when you were on stage in front of that many people like or was did it get was it pretty natural for you well it's never natural and, and I, I like to be nervous I like to have that sort of butterfly going on down there but because if I didn't um, it, you can't I can't imagine just being you know nonchalant about playing to 10 20,000 5,000 2,000 1,000 it doesn't matter because that they have an expectancy and, and I want them to be happy and I want to deliver uh, why they're there uh, so it's I've never ever taken it for granted. I've never been that confident that I just think, you know, it's going to be a piece of cake. I'm going to walk this one. Yeah, it's, it's the, there's always an unknown factor, uh, but I like it. I, I, I like that nervous edge and it, and it keeps you on your toes. It keeps your brain, the adrenaline. It, it's part of the rush of playing music in front of a crowd. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's it's I'm nervous, but it's not with a capital N. You know, it's it's a different sort of nervousness. In the early days, I was terrified with a capital T. I mean, I was really scared. But you you, you have to deal with it. And I think the worst thing in the early days was as a guitar player, I hadn't played with anybody famous. And, and in the first year, um, Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, Clapton. Zapper, uh, you think of the guitar player, and, and we were sharing concerts with him. I was absolutely petrified, but I had to deal with it. And, and, I, and I certainly had no confidence in standing on the same stage as them, but I, I had to learn to deal with it or give up, and I wasn't going to give up. So the first year was the hardest year, but, but it toughen me up <laughs> yeah and um and so when you uh, when you went on with Hull, i mean kind of along those lines was uh, and you would make new albums did you ever feel any like pressure you know with as a group to to like outdo the previous album or to live up to aqualung or what have you you know like was what was that i mean what did that feel like for you yeah i, I don't think we ever had those pressures uh, that the record company left us alone uh, that only once did they try and interfere, and it was a disaster. Um, <clears throat> so that they they learned to leave us alone and do what we do, and we, we never had aspirations of being around fifty years of being, you know, a top bat. Whatever whatever happened to us was fine. We we wanted to play. We wanted to continue as long as possible, but. But the you know maybe the easy way of doing it or the obvious way is to replicate a formula that works, and and uh, we would never do that you know and, and and I wouldn't do it now. It's a lesson that's always been ingrained. So we, we always wanted to go left to centre, never follow the crowd, um, just experiment and keep moving. Even though a lot of times we'd do a new album and, and people wouldn't like it, 
Um, but it was as important as doing an album that people loved because you had to have those curves and dips um, in a career. I think they help, you know, I, th I think the lows help the highs, vice versa. And, and our fans are amazing, you know, that they, if we made an album, which was obviously not what they wanted, like under wraps, that they hated computerized drums. Uh, it was a big mistake, but they went with it. You know, they, they, they sort of forgave us and, uh, and they, you know, they went along with it and then it came back to more normal. Uh, so you, the, 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 they, they were very forgiving and, uh, and very supportive. So we, they enabled us to experiment. Yeah, and so um, looking at, at Aqualung in particular, like you're, you're planning shows where you're gonna play Aqualung in its entirety. So, yes. you know, I'm, I'm sure you've been practicing uh, that album again and kind of as you're going back and kind of reflecting on it, what, is, yeah. what does that album mean to, to you? Well, I know it, you know, <laughs> the hilarious thing is that, I, that the idea came to me um, um, <clears throat> And, and, and then I looked at the tracks, I thought, I know all of these songs. I can actually get a guitar on and play them. But uh, so, you know, I haven't gone into it, but the only thing I have done is, um, my God's got a flute solo. Uh, I'm not gonna play a flute solo. And I'm not gonna do a guitar solo because people are gonna go, oh, it should be a flute solo. Um, so I found a bit of music that will replace that flute solo. And um, it's called Palladio, it's by Carl Jenkins. And, and I put it on YouTube because I, I, I've always wanted to play it. And, um, and so I sort of blueprinted the original and um, just put loads of guitars on, orchestrated it. And I thought, you know what, this is gonna work really, really well. And, and I liked it so much that, it, that it's, out there on YouTube, but, uh, which is, has blown a surprise. But th th that was the only little blip, you know, the important part of my God is the flute solo. Uh, so there needs to be something there that's, <laughs> that has a, kind of a, a voice. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Um, and so I want to ask you, because it, it seemed kind of uh, funny to me, and I'm sure it was, you know, hilarious to you, I mean, at the time, like uh, you guys winning a, a Grammy for an mm. album that you, you didn't even feel like you uh, fit into the category for. You're like, there's no way we're going to win this, right? So you didn't even show yeah. up for the Grammy. Well, the category was a shame, you know, but the, <clears throat> I think they should have thought that out a bit more because we're certainly not, whatever it was, hard rock. Uh, but you know what, um, the, the record company didn't, fly us over they said you don't stand a chance that nobody believed in us um at all so in, in my mind we, we had the nomination and there it was a bit of paper I thought wow that's really amazing i was so pleased and i that was the end of it for me i shut the door and then you know the, the night of the ceremony i was at home i'd, I'd forgotten about it and, and then i got a phone call about midnight saying uh, yeah you've won I go what but but I'm happy you know I, I never well I won't say that I'd, I'd love another Grammy <laughs> but it, it's, it's really special 
you know, I'm never going to have an arm full of Grammys and have the photo on the red carpet. Right. But the, I've got that one Grammy and it's in my studio and I'm really proud of it. And I really think we deserved it because we, we're just right so we're a great band. We worked our butts off for 50 years, uh, less when that happened. And you know what? Historically within music, it was nice to be recognized. I'm not saying we, we needed to be recognized, but, but I have no regrets about it at all. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and so there's one other thing I wanted to, to ask you about because it, um, it seems like there might be an interesting story there. And that, that is Woodstock, that you guys were su supposed to mm. play Woodstock. Yeah. Um, well, we were in New York uh, 10 years after, which is our sort of, you know, um, stable mate band in Christmas and, and were up there uh, and we, we were due to go up and play and, and literally they just shut everything down you know, that, that there were no flights in that they closed the festival site down um, as far as access was concerned and that's why we didn't do it I mean there, there's other stories I've heard but that is what happened we, we wanted to do it it sounded incredible it was uh, didn't have the importance that we know it has now. But um, yeah, we just didn't, we were too late to go and play, it's a shame. But we played the Isle of Wight Festival, which is uh, allegedly 600,000 people. And and the, the lineup on that was equally phenomenal. And, and now they're making a big thing, you know, that they're gonna make a museum on the Isle of Wight to celebrate the 70, 1970 Isle of Wight because um, it'll never happen again. Yeah. And, yeah. and the lineup was just, you, 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 but when you look at the lineup, it's incredible. Kind yeah. of was on it. <laughs> Everybody. Yeah, those sort of festivals, I mean, you, like they try and recreate them, but, but it's not something that can be built really. I mean, right? Like, no. I mean, it's just, you can't, you can't just, uh, you know, throw money into this thing and, and, and make what, what that was right yeah well yeah you can't get a, a nobody could afford a lineup anything like that um uh, I, I'm, I'm glad you know because it, it's 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 a historical event as woodstock was and and I, and I think you know glastonbury is sort of the festival that everybody talks around about certainly in europe um I'm, I'm underwhelmed by it because, you know, there's a, always a few good things, but there's a lot there, which is, I don't know, I'm, I'm in my 70s and I'm very opinionated, but, but I, I watch it because I like to see what young bands are doing. Pardon me. And, and I just think, mm, no. <laughs> I just think the quality of some of the bands to be playing in front of 50,000 people it doesn't compute, you know, the, the, the quality of the bands, they should be playing to 50 people and learning, learning how to play. Uh, but suddenly that they're, they're at this huge event on the main stage. Good for them, but yeah. it, it's not the same thing it, that they're, there's a lot of filler. That's a very dangerous thing to say. Uh, um, and as you say that the, the logistics of, of, of doing a Woodstock or an Isle of Wight, it'll never happen yeah for sure 
so, so Martin, I want to thank you for, for taking the time. Um, my understanding is you're able to play a song as well. Do you have? Um, I can't sing. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, but uh, like an acoustic guitar or is it, is that in your studio? Oh, it's in my studio. And uh, that was awesome. I like it. What, uh, what, what song was that? It's called, uh, <laughs> I should know it. Oh, this is so funny. Um, I Be Thank You. And it's off um, the first solo record I made called Trick of Memory. And um, it's about an auctioneer. It's, it's a, not a very good story, but I had a friend, an auctioneer, and I always thought he, he, when he took bids, the first one he said, I'd be thank you. But I said, like a real farmer's thing. What he was actually saying is that I, I am bid. Thank you. I am bid. Thank you. But it's, it's a terrible story. But I, 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 it always made me smile. So it's, I'd be thank you. It's a beautiful song. <laughs> also, uh, yeah. Well, Martin, I want, to, I want to thank you for taking the time. I mean, it was, I really enjoyed our conversation. We got to talk like a year or two ago. And uh, I mean, I just love, I mean, you have so many incredible stories, you know, and what an incredible career, I mean, you, you've had and, and you're not slowing down, you know, you still get to do what you love. And uh, I mean, that's why I, I do this, you know, to get to, I mean, hear these stories. It's, it's incredible. So oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I've so. enjoyed it. It's quite nice. I haven't done a Zoom interview. So oh, this is the first one? Huh? This is the first one? Yeah, I mean, I've done Zoom calls, but uh, an interview, uh, it's, 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 it adds something a bit more personal, which is rather nice. Oh, totally. I know, because I've, you know, I've done the phone interviews and everything, and those are, those are great. You can have a good conversation, but getting to see, you know, talk to each other face to face, it's, I mean, yeah. it's the closest thing to you know, in person, right? You get to yeah, nice. be uh, there with the better because when you've had enough of me, you can turn me off. <laughs> Time to go, Martin. Uh, no. Yeah, you I've just got to be going. You know, I've, I've got right. Oh, let me check the time. Uh, that's the thing, right now, though, we don't have a lot of excuse, right? Because uh, <laughs> time I, is a lot. Don't, but yeah, this is. Yeah, it's been it's but, been nice talking to you.
Well, nice talking to you as well, and hopefully I get to see you when you come out uh, yeah, to the yeah. to the Bay Area next. So. It'll happen. Yeah. When well, nobody knows. We, we don't know, but we'll be there, and uh, and I look forward to it happening. So. <laughs> you have a great one, okay, Martin? Yeah, thanks. That was the interview with Martin Barr, uh, formerly of Jethro Tull here in Concert Pipeline. And really big thank you again to him to, for taking the time to chat. It was uh, uh, great to hear from him. Uh, I also like that he you know, played a little bitty on his guitar uh, for us, a little acoustic number. It's, it's been so amazing to get artists to, to do that sort of thing, you know, in the comfort of their home. Yeah, yeah, I definitely want to give a shout out to Martin, right? And thank you very much for that. Um, and uh, I mean, you didn't let poor Martin um you didn't force them to do the interview on your time right like you didn't have to get up at <laughs> four in the morning or whatever you're right yeah i made him get up at 2 a.m you know in the middle of the night uh, it was better for me no right right uh, i made the sacrifice i did the interview at 6 30 in the morning my time so it was a good 2 30 uh, his, his time in the afternoon right? Sorry, so, sorry, sorry. all right so he's got he's awake enough to actually do some yeah you know, yeah I talking and some performing yeah <laughs> No, it, would, it worked out really well. Um, cool, awesome, so, cool, Martin. Yeah, and so that takes us to the final segment on the program. What is it? Well, it is time for some music news, Steve. We got... <laughs> we got a couple of articles. Uh, couple of news topics to talk about and in traditional fashion let's uh, have you begin and then i will follow your lead sounds good thank you all right uh so uh this is probably gonna be the last episode that we do before the election uh so we'll just put that out there that uh, whatever is uh, happening has happened uh, yeah 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 you're talking about, having, yeah, talking about that have you have you seen uh have you seen the the, the sequel to borat I did see it yesterday. Yes. Yeah, so. Hell, I see, yeah. We saw that yesterday. The day before, <laughs> something I remember. Dude, I was. It was. It was freaking hilarious, but in an extremely cringe-worthy way. You yeah. know, like I know like it's so painful. Face for the whole time it was so painful to watch, but so worth it to watch the whole damn thing. Oh, it was it was brilliant. Yeah. Perfect I tell you, time. the balls on that guy. The balls on that guy. I know. Yeah. He is a master of his craft, right? So. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, you said election. I thought, oh my God, Borat, got to watch that before the election. Well, from <laughs> one nut job to another, right? Um, so <laughs> right. You, remem you remember our boy Kanye West is, you know, is running in, in the presidential election. And I'll See, tell you- Yeah, you, yeah, you, you sent me the little uh, photo of the, the ballot, right? And yeah, I'm like, oh man, he's vice president or going for vice president. He's, yeah, it's so weird. I don't even understand how it's possible, but some states he's running for president and others he's running for, like California, he's running for vice president, you know? And he was on Joe Rogan podcast this week and, uh -huh. uh, you know, and I just listened to the first five minutes this morning. Interesting, and, okay. And, yeah, and Joe was asking him about, you know, what he wants to bring to the mm -hmm. table, what's he, you know, what he wants to change. And he just says, he said, hey, well, you know, I'm a visionary and, uh, and, that he's gonna, you know, uh, he wants to be leader of the free world. And, you know, back in 2015, God told him, you know, to run for president in 2020. 
Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that <laughs> happened. And Interesting. So, I mean, there's a video that, uh, you know, Kanye fans have appeared in um, a campaign video to explain why they're voting for the rapper to become the next president of the United States. So he recently revealed to have spent $3 million of his own money on his White House run last month, despite raising just $2,782. <laughs> I thought you were going to say $27. Yeah, he's still continuing his bid in opposition of Trump and Biden. Uh, but, you know, it's really, you know, people are saying it's, you know, to offset, um, you know, take some of Biden's voters, right? Yeah, uh, yeah they're saying. Uh, but someone said, I'll be voting for Kanye West this year because America needs a leader who will actually listen to the kids. Um, Okay, I mean he's listening to voices in his head. I know. Yeah, uh, that's the only thing kids. he's listening to. <laughs> he needs to take his medication and stop the bullshit. Is what he needs to do. Yeah, I I would agree. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It's uh, uh, he's currently polling at two percent ahead of uh, U.S. Ele uh, election on November third. But you know, I think there is a swing state that he's on the ballot in that might shake things up a little bit, right? whatever yeah yeah I, I just you know i just i think uh there are just certain people on the planet that should be among the first group of people that get launched off of the planet and uh sent to mars uh yes. just as just as test subjects to see if humans can survive the trip there and back well his buddy elon musk um, i'm sure will make it happen so exactly right uh you know, yeah. have them go down in history uh, as having done something, you know, fantastic for, for mankind. Yeah. You know, well, being yeah, president, you guys, vice president, yeah. you that? Was your story? Person? That was I thought story. you were just was talking. It. I, I thought was just you were talking. just talking about him. Oh, no, that shit. was the story. Is that there, <laughs> that he's, I, I wanted to share it because he only raised 2700 bucks. And put in three million. So I thought that was worth oh, sharing. Freaking hilarious! I kept on waiting for you to start the story. <laughs> okay, I, I talked like, to him. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. All right. So Smashing Pumpkins. Let's talk about them. Um, yeah. So yeah, they're planning a world arena tour um, mm. for Melancholy. So this is the story. So the Smashing Pumpkins have announced that they will celebrate the 25th anniversary of melancholy and the infinite sadness with a world arena tour next year yay okay mm. well let's don't know quite what that means maybe does that mean like real people i um, mean they're hoping so <laughs> they're hoping right. uh okay so the band is hoping too so um the band had hoped to launch the special tour timed with the 25th anniversary on October 23rd, but the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown did not make the possible did not make it possible. So they plan to launch the trek in 2021 and we'll share the dates and venues soon. Um, you know what? That's that's something that I actually might go to if they, you know, show up here somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I didn't go to about just about any show, to, you know, right now, right? <laughs> right? But, yeah, 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 no shit. But that uh, would be a fun also, show. 
They've also announced that they will be releasing a new concept. That album uh, that will complete the trilogy that began with Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness and continued with Machina. Interesting. Very interesting. Mm, okay. They are eyeing a late 2012 release date for that new record. And I love how this article, you know, says record in it. Yes. It's a record. Like, do the, like you, do the kids the, today? Do, do the kids use that term? No, no, no. The kids don't use that term. Right? No way. Mm. No. So like somebody who, like whoever wrote this is either really trendy, you know, and oh my God, I'm going to use the word record because it's so old school or it's someone from that generation that, you know, bought a bunch of vinyl back when all you had was vinyl back then. I don't know. It's pretty hip, I tell you. So. It's pretty hip. I think yeah. it's pretty freaking fantastic. I love that. Yeah. Well, Jens, my next story is about Gwen Stefani. Oh, what is Gwen yeah. up to? Well, she was on um, a Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. And mm -hmm. um, so she's turned No Doubts, uh, Don't Speak, and Spiderwebs into country songs for a sketch on US TV. They're saying she's, you know, gone country. Gwen, uh, it's a skit called Gwen Stefani's Gone Country, I guess. Um, and she put on Dolly Parton-esque uh, spin on Tragic Kingdom singles. And I think she changed, what is it? She changed Holla Back Girl. She gave that um, a little country um, feel as well. And uh, I think we just need to take a little listening to what uh, Gwen Stefani's uh, songs, Gone Country, uh, sound like. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, do it. It's like Dolly Parton singing Gwen Stefani. It, it feels like it, right? No That's doubt. Whatever. Oh, dude, turn it off. No. Oh, my God. Turn that shit off. Yeah, oh, okay. God. No. Oh, I'm sorry. I need something to wipe the blood that's coming out of my ears, dude. That was horrible. You know, there's some country that I actually enjoy listening to. That's not it. Nope. Not, not funny. Not funny, Gwen. Don't ruin the you know, good old No Doubt songs. Right, exactly. You know, if you want to do that at some, you know, event that you go to, great, you know, play it live. It'll be like this really cool one-off thing that people can like tweet about or whatever. But dude, don't, don't like come out with an album or put that shit on YouTube. No, don't, uh, just don't do it. No. Yeah. Yeah, and you have one more story for us. Yes. I have a story about why Paul McCartney looks like my stepmother. Oh, okay. Yes. Why Why is that, Jens? Yeah, I don't know. But before I even get into this story, I'm zooming in on Paul McCartney, mm -hmm. who is, uh, how old is Sir, Sir McCartney now? Is he like, I mean, he's got to be over 70, right? Yeah. Shoot. I don't know. He's older. Anyway, yeah. my step. He's, he's 78. He's 78. 78. Yeah. Okay, okay. He's 78. And he's he's English, right? Like British English. Yeah. And but my stepmother, she's uh she's 81 and uh, she's Swedish. And I don't know whether my stepmother looks like Paul McCartney or Paul McCartney looks like looks looks like my stepmother. Doppelganger. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like have you seen these have you seen these uh these photos where two people that look similar are are blended together? Mm, I, I don't know if I've seen that. you never seen that online? And then you're asked, like, who is this person? And you can't tell if it's 
if it's Paul McCartney or if it's Yenza's stepmother because it's totally <laughs> both. It could right? be both, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so I'm just wondering if Paul McCartney might be Swedish. It's uh, maybe very that's possible. Like a big or, secret. I don't know. Or your stepmother is English. Yeah, that could be. That could be. Maybe, maybe she's lied to us all these years. She does speak Swedish and she does have Swedish accent. Mm, okay. <laughs> anyway, blah, blah, blah. Uh, um, let me focus. Uh, so Paul announced his new solo album called McCartney 3 or 3rd. It's in Roman numerals, one, two, three. So I'm just going to go with third. I, 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 McCartney third. <laughs> yeah, it's probably McCartney <laughs> 3. We'll go with that. Yeah. Okay. Keeping it classic. Uh, so ending a 40 year wait to complete the McCartney solo album album trilogy. Sir Paul McCartney has announced his brand new solo album, McCartney. Maybe it's maybe maybe it's Spanish, like tres. Yes, that's probably what it is. French. Or, or oh, trois. 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 Yeah, yeah, it's McCartney trois. Yes. It's probably not German. No, anyway. no, it couldn't be German. Yeah. So the uh, announcement of the record was teased earlier this week with a number of visual cues and now has been confirmed that the Beatle is set to end the 40 year wait by finally rounding off his McCartney solo album trilogy thing. Yay. Okay. Beginning with his debut solo record, McCartney in April 1970. Oh my God. Wow. How many negative years were you back then? Yeah, <laughs> Martin, you want to know? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was seven. like April, May, like minus three months. Mm, yeah. Oh my God. Okay, so which saw its creator playing every instrument and writing and recording each song? McCartney followed that up ten years later by releasing McCartney the the two. Okay, in May 1980. How many negative years were you in 1980? Three, three, final answer. Yeah. All right, we're getting closer. All right. Uh, all right. So, okay, so that was 10 years. Okay. And then, I don't know, 40 years later, he does, uh, you know, finishes it up. Um, so he's coming full circle. That's good. You know, getting stuff off the bucket list. Yeah. Hey, you so know? there won't be a four or there will? I'm confused. I don't know. A trilogy? I'm thinking it's just going to be three. Uh, you say that, but then, you know, Star Wars and we can get good on that road. For oh, maybe he's going to do some prequels, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna go back to nineteen forty, yeah, the and then they, they get renamed. You know, like yeah, all this shit know. sounds like Elvis. All right, um, no, no, no. sounds the like most recent be being. Yeah, I think so. Uh, what am I talking about? Okay, so while a number of solo McCartney albums followed that LP, the most recent being September twenty eighteen's Egypt Station, McCartney has only now completed work on the final part of the trilogy of the McCartney albums. Okay, so initially he hadn't planned to release an album in 2020, but this freaking isolation. Why not? Who knows how long we got? Why not? Right? Why not just get it done? The time is there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, blah, 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 blah. It goes on and on and on. And um, Good. so do we have a release date? Did I mention that? No, right? Um, coming he said 2020 so it can't be that yeah. long can't be too long right so uh he says i was living lockdown life on my farm with my family and i would go to my studio every day i had to do a little bit of work on some film music that turned into one opening track and then uh when it was done i thought what am i gonna do next what am i gonna do next oh i don't know oh i think i'll have a beer with my friend 
Ringo. Um, oh, Paul. I had <laughs> my Paul. Talk to my friend Paul. Okay, uh, I had some stuff I had worked on over the years, but sometimes I would run out. Sometimes you know, time would run and uh, would be half finished, and you know, so I started thinking about what I had, and that wasn't a whole lot except you know, get older, and uh, I need to finish this trilogy because the whole world is so like interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. All right. Yeah. So I think you he's can making it out. You can yeah. pre-order it. You can pre-order it. That's the part I'm trying to get to here. You can pre-order order it. So do an internet search. How do I pre-order McCartney Poir? There you go. And you'll you'll find it out. Jens, I have one more story. And uh, you know who it re- involves. Dave Grohl, hit me up. Hit me up, That's baby. Right. Uh, so the Foo Fighters, Jens, performed an acoustic set for Save Our Stages Benefit uh, at the nice. Troubadour, um, and that was on the, uh, during their appearance at the three-day festi- festival. Um, uh, after previewing their appearance with footage of their 1999 classic, Learn to Fly, uh, um, on Jimmy Kimmel Live, they opened their half-hour set with Skin and Bones from uh, 2005. Um, they, they played My Hero, uh, These Days, Times Like These, uh, when Dave Grohl closed out the performance with the solo take on, you guessed it, Everlong. Nice. Um, yeah. So they all uh, reminisce about their first visits to Los An- to the famed Los Angeles venue and the importance yeah. of lo- the local music scene. They're uh, really trying to drum up money to to save independent venues you know we've talked about that and i like how you use the words drummed up for uh, dave Grohl. drummed of up. of course was that intentional or was that you'll never know yens i'll never know it, it, it's going to be a, a hidden you're going to take that to your grave yep i will after, after you have your first colonoscopy yeah we're going <laughs> to save that for a little bit okay so <laughs> good time all right, Jens, that's our show. Um, so, yeah, good times to be had. I don't have a, an interview lined up right now, so I can't tell you. It might be a couple weeks before the next episode, but thank you again to Martin Barr for appearing on the program. And, Jens, for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, that's Jens Schiphol. And that is Steve Jones. We will catch you next time. Later.